Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain, where each episode we'll sit down with entrepreneurs, investors, and industry veterans to discuss innovation, technology, and the most exciting opportunities in trucking and logistics as we build the future of supply chain together. Be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Now, let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar. And joining me today is Chris Nord, Senior Director of Advanced Vehicle Technologies and Global Fuel Products at Ryder. Welcome, Chris. <laughs> Thank you, Santosh. Pleasure to be on with you. Thank you. And, you know, that is a, a mouthful. You you do quite a bit <laughs> at, at Ryder. And uh, as a result, you've become this, you know, go-to guy when it comes to EVs and, and AVs. But I'd be curious, you know, what's what's the personal story? What is the journey of Chris? Yeah, thanks. Uh, it, it's been quite an interesting journey through Ryder. Uh, I've been here for close to 15 years. And prior to that, I uh, graduated from the University of Miami with a industrial engineering degree as well as an MBA in management science. And I got hired in to uh, basically help manage our fuel purchasing and distribution organization called Redco. And uh, that was uh, in uh, 2005, same year that we had three massive hurricanes hit uh, the country and knock out about a third of our refining capacity. So trial by fire was certainly how I started my, my career here at Ryder. And then about a year and a half later, I, uh, I got hired um, by our current CEO, Robert Sanchez, to uh, start Ryder's fuel pricing department. And so I went from the purchasing side to the sales pricing and uh, support side. So we have about 700 salespeople all across uh, North America that I was uh, basically building up an organization to support them with analysis and decision support uh, in order to grow the fuel product line provider. Um, after that, I went into our finance uh, department working for uh, the maintenance organization uh, mostly. And about eight years ago now, I uh, joined uh, uh, my former uh, boss and colleague, Scott Perry, in our um, advanced vehicle technology group. And uh, we built up the uh, the second largest fleet of natural gas vehicles in the country, uh, right behind uh, a uh, large parcel distributor, um, and uh, very quickly, uh, you know, we we uh, transitioned and started looking at other technologies beyond natural gas, and so uh, it was a pretty uh, pretty easy transition to move into you know the idea of supporting uh, hydrogen technology vehicles as well as uh, electric vehicles. You know, with all the encompassing needs that go about it, such as, you know, stations and charging infrastructure. So so that's where I'm at now. So, you know, I, I really want to kind of dig into this whole world of alternative fuels. And uh, EVs are, are getting a lot of the attention. Uh, I, I would say certainly a disproportionate amount of attention. Um, but before we, we jump into that, you know, what are the alternative fuel front runners here as we think about, you know, commercial transportation? I know there's hydrogen out there. You mentioned nat gas. You know, are we missing anything else? What are kind of the relative puts and takes uh, across those energy sources? 
Yeah, they, they each sort of have their own niche in play. So, you know, propane is also a pretty big alternative fuel source. Uh, most of the time they're relegated to smaller vehicles, so the medium and the light duty uh, classes. Um, natural gas is really the first one to create a, uh, a decent competitor to diesel in the heavy duty space. Uh, and it's found its, uh, its calling, so to speak, uh, within certain segments of the industry, um, but not something that is truly going to displace significant numbers of diesel vehicles in the, in the near future. Um, I, I do think that electric is going to uh, create uh, a pretty significant foothold, um, and it'll start in specific areas. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I usually um, comment on is that electric and internal combustion products are very complementary to each other as opposed to opposing products because they really like completely different operating environments. As an example, diesel vehicles really like to be uh, on the highway driving 65 or so miles per hour uh, and just sitting there in top gear. Uh, that's when they're optimized. The MPG performance is best. The after-treatment system does well. And so if you take that same technology and you put it in a stop-and-go application, it actually starts doing pretty poorly. Um, you have running cost spikes, um, mostly due to after-treatment systems not getting hot enough in order to naturally regen. And so, you know, you look at then the electric side where it does incredibly well in stop-and-go type environments where the brake regeneration system captures energy instead of utilizing the brake pads. So now you have less brake wear while recovering energy back into your battery. And so that's why I say that they're really complementary. So EVs is going to make a foothold in the uh, immediately in the parcel delivery industry. So the... Um, the last mile operators, uh, for sure. And, and within that, you have a slew of different categories. So, you know, in the lighter duty, you're talking about the, the Amazons and the UPSs and the FedExs and the DHLs of the world. Yep. Uh, and then in the heavier duty classes, you, you have a great application in garbage, uh, pickup. As oh, example. yeah. Um, you know, and then, then you start going into municipal bus fleets and school buses and there's, you know, anything that basically goes from house to house or block to block uh, within urban environments is just really well suited for electric vehicles. And, you know, when you think about the dynamics of charging, uh, kind of, you know, staying on this um, topic of EVs, it fascinates me, um, I think, to, to a large part because, uh, you know, still learning more about it. But it's not like gasoline, right? When you need to charge your vehicle as a commercial fleet manager, um, what should people be aware of? What should people know? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And that's really the first place that fleets need to start is researching what's required from a charging perspective. Um, right now, the majority of buildings out there that are supporting fleets are aging. And that means that their electrical infrastructure is not, um, you know, great. Um, there's that, that comes with both opportunity and challenges. So the opportunity is that most of the time the building itself is pretty energy inefficient. 
So the first thing that you start doing is looking at, okay, well, what can I do to make my building more efficient, which frees up spare electrical capacity in order to charge more vehicles? So that's a step one. Step two would be to start looking at, well, what, what can I do from, um, you know, together with the utility company? Do, can I easily bring in more electrical power into the building? Um, or do I need to look at things like solar or other kinds of uh, distributed power generation? And so, um, obviously, this all starts with what's the demand going to be? So you want to look at, well, how many vehicles am I going to put? How quickly do I need to charge those vehicles in order to develop, you know, the, the needs assessment? And when, you know, we're, we're thinking about charging vehicles, getting infrastructure, some of this infrastructure is going to have to be uh, perhaps in part funded by the industry, um, you know, maybe in, in lots, in yards, how should people rationalize that? Because it's not something, you know, that the logistics industry and specifically trucking might be used to doing, right? This long-lived CapEx that ultimately drives throughput. Um, without it, <laughs> you can't really operate your electric trucks. Yeah, no, that, that's true. And, and even even to add complexity onto that, most of the time, Companies don't have real estate in the same vertical or hierarchy structure as their vehicles or fuel usage. So you really need to have uh, companies start, you know, creating these horizontal management structures in order to more effectively push through projects like this, because otherwise it just it, it delays uh, implementation significantly. And you know, for for our listeners here, just to kind of give them an, an understanding of kind of the necessity around this type of charging network, um, when I was doing my research, like the average box truck can go about 10 miles a gallon. Um, I'd be curious, what's the equivalent in the electric world um, that gets you to kind of a similar range in terms of, you know, time of charging, amount of electricity, cost perhaps? Right. Um so the the 10 mpg example on on the diesel or, or gasoline vehicle is, is your you know inner city type operation um, you know a medium duty vehicle uh, and and any internal combustion product diesel or gasoline are only about 40% efficient that means that of all the basically power that's that's held in that fuel only about 40% goes to propelling the vehicle forward. Mm. In the electric world, the electric motor is so efficient that using the power and the batteries, that you have 85% or so going towards propelling the vehicle forward. Wow. And so that's part of the reason why when you're looking at MPGE or MPG equivalent for electric vehicles, they have such incredible numbers. Now, you still have this range issue because, you know, storing energy is really expensive. Batteries are incredibly expensive. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a natural progression that's going to take place, starting with vehicles that don't go very far every day. And so if you have a fleet of 100 vehicles, you've got to start looking at which ones can be put onto routes that don't require a significant range every day. And you start by converting those vehicles. And, you know, through time, as we've seen with, um, you know, 
big screen TVs, for example, the uh, the cost uh, is continuing to decline. We're seeing the same thing with uh, with batteries and electric vehicles as the scale is created from various parts of the industry. Um, you're you're seeing vehicles decline in price uh, fairly rapidly. And when when you're thinking about getting these networks up, um, preparing for the future. Um, there's a whole ecosystem that I don't think is discussed and, uh, maybe it's discussed, but there are pockets of, of, of folks who have this knowledge gap, but a lot of this can be funded by a a set of investors in the capital markets who like to fund things like solar projects, electrification, um, you know, coming from that project finance competency. Correct. Yeah, good good point. And we have a number of partners that we're working with that want to finance these projects uh, in order for these fleets not to need to put the capital up in order to you know come out of pocket, so to speak. Um, and and there's going to be a a number of these player, players that will be coming out uh, over the next several months. Some of which we will be making some uh, some interesting announcements about in the in the near future. Um, in order to provide that full suite of services. So not only are we going to support the installation of charging infrastructure, we're going to be able to finance it, uh, maintain it long term, and potentially even create utilization uh, through multiple customers use, using the same site. Now, I say that um, while at the same time I advise my clients to always build infrastructure on their own site. So you can utilize and build infrastructure for your own vehicles and potentially get some additional revenue from, you know, um, other fleets utilizing those chargers when you are not doing so. So it's not like you're going to overbuild, but there may be synergies between two different companies located pretty close to each other um, to create these networks and these partnerships. But overall, relying on a retail model for charging vehicles is not necessarily advisable. Right now, even the fastest of chargers that are out there take, you know, much longer to charge a vehicle than going to the gas station to fill up some more gas. And so you're creating potentially a uh, a significant backup in your own infrastructure if you just open it up to the public. Yeah. So sharing very selectively um, is is certainly something that we're looking at. So, you know, does that then um, perhaps open up opportunities for like regional alliances? Um, perhaps, you know, there's a, a company out there that could be founded um, that almost offers like a timeshare type, um, I guess, um, structure towards using a network of electric chargers? How might, you know, founders in, in our listener base like push and pull on, on that concept? Because I, I think it's certainly interesting where you want to share, but you don't want to share too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And certainly not sharing at the wrong times of day when you may have significantly higher cost of electricity. Um, you're really optimizing the, the chargers, the size of the chargers based on 
your own needs. So a lot of times, um, fleets, especially that are moving forward right now, will do fine with a, a level two charger that may take you eight, ten hours to charge a vehicle because they have at least that much downtime. However, that does not necessarily lend itself to this, you know, sharing or lending idea because most of the time vehicles are being used during the day. And that's also the time when your assets are idle. So somebody coming in during the day and charging for eight hours isn't necessarily very efficient. Uh, at which point, mm-hmm. you know, now you're starting to talk about the really fast DC chargers, but the cost of those and the electric load on buildings for those is so much greater. I truly wonder if that's going to make uh, financial sense. Um, but what we're seeing out there is some players that are building, you know, retail, fast retail networks such as Electrify America, and they can certainly be, uh, you know, networked into a number of different applications where you can create those kinds of solutions. Interesting. And, you know, are there, are there any, like, key areas, if, if you're a founder thinking about this, you know, electrification opportunity, looking to maybe start a new enterprise, you mentioned a lot of different things, right? You, we have a range issue. We have, you know, battery technology that still uh, could be greatly improved. There's just services concept. There's, you know, software involved as well. Where might you focus your time if, if you're going to go on that journey? Well, um, you know, Ryder is going to focus on providing uh, vehicle maintenance and service um, facilities, you know, train technicians, uh, in order to create the highest uptime of vehicles possible. Uh, and then the, the actual building of the charging infrastructure to support that um, with, with software to manage that and make it as efficient as possible for that fleet. Then integrating together with potentially those kinds of solutions out there uh, is something that we'll look at as those start becoming available. Um, but right now we're very focused on creating the, the experience for um, the, the fleet customers that we have today. Um, and, uh, you know, one, one of the interesting products that we've um, come out with is a product called Coop. And that's a peer-to-peer truck sharing platform. And to your point, there may be some, some opportunities, you know, through a platform like that to utilize the distributed network of charging infrastructure as well. But we're, uh, we're not necessarily there yet. Sure, sure. And, and while I have you, Chris, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be remiss to not uh, chat a little bit about uh, AVs, uh, given, you know, you, you have worked with a, a few of our portfolio companies on, on their respective uh, goals and, and being a partner to them. Um, but, you know, I, I'd be the first person to say right now, the whole broad market is in what I would call like the trough of disillusionment, <laughs> where, um, you know, there's been a lot of capital, time, effort uh, put behind uh, autonomy. Uh, but I'd be curious from, from your perspective at Ryder uh, as being a partner um, servicing uh, a lot of these um, opportunities. What's your take? What's your thinking? Where are we in this broader AV cycle? Right, yeah. And so the, the way that I personally see this is really from a safety perspective. Um, 
and and the driver perspective, we believe, or I believe, I should say, that the autonomous technology is going to play a very significant role over the next few years in creating uh, more comfort and more safer uh, driving environments for uh, our professional drivers. So I don't see a scenario in the near term where we physically remove the driver from the truck. Instead, we make the driver's job much easier and much more comfortable. And with a more comfortable and an easier job environment, now you can actually start improving retention rates and start recruiting younger drivers into this industry, which has a very significant shortage. It's, it's probably the biggest problem that trucking is facing right now is the driver shortage. And so these technologies are, are going to help um, you know, with that aspect. And so from a PCO perspective, it already starts paying off when you can show uh, increased retention and driver satisfaction. So in, in the near term, that's where I see the value of these, uh, these various technologies. And, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, making the driver more comfortable, safer. Um, is this kind of a, a journey where a lot of people do compare it to the airlines and, do you feel like we're going to end up being in this world perhaps in about 10, 15 years where the truck driver is more like a pilot perhaps, or maybe pilot several vehicles at once? Yeah, good question. And, and there's a number of different models being built and developed out there, depending on which autonomous vehicle company you're, you're talking about. And so the idea that a autonomous vehicle without a driver in it you know, can safely navigate highways, as an example. Um, either you need to create uh, nodes within the drive, uh, the highway network, or a way for a, a drone driver uh, being able to obviously then manage many different vehicles uh, throughout his or her day. Um, so, you know, one of those two solutions in the near term still doesn't eliminate the need for drivers um, it may reduce the number that's needed, um, but I, I still believe that we're, we're a number of years um, out from that. And in comparison to the airline industry, you know, we still do have pilots in, in the cockpit, right? So uh, they haven't gotten to the point where they're completely removing um, the, the pilot from the seat. Uh, and I, I think that, to your point, you know, 10 years or so maybe is what the technology needs in order to truly get there. Um, but, you know, even, even if that is the, the case, you know, the driver does so much more uh, for the overall vehicle duty, right? First mile, last mile, loading, unloading, securing. You know, there's a number of scenarios that drivers solve for that the autonomous system still does not, and even the visions of the autonomous system does not. So drivers will always have a play in the trucking sector. Yeah. What would you say or, or advise to a lot of these shippers who've you know continued their R&D, are uh, continuing their pilots partnerships uh, with the, the various AV companies? Because uh, you know there, there's something to be said about kind of ignoring some of this broader uh, negative sentiment and kind of staying 
with um, the efforts that a lot of these folks are, are you know, in the midst of? So, um, I, and I've seen a lot of shippers utilizing these various autonomous vehicle companies that are out there testing their products, you know, still with drivers in them. Um, and I think that the most interesting thing coming out of that is the software integration and the way that these very, very intelligent individuals are looking at the entire business model of trucking and shipping loads and, and dealing with these load boards and um, that software piece that, that may come out of there may be just as valuable as the autonomous system, um, perhaps in eliminating some of the middlemen that are out there uh, and creating a more streamlined business model, which lowers costs, improves efficiency, uh, and does a lot of things for us that, that, that'll help a lot. And, you know, my last uh, kind of query on, on this topic of AVs would be, uh, we've had a lot of states come out, um, you know, they've, they've kind of put forth a, a basic piece of regulation or in, in some cases, you know, they're maturing that baseline regulation. But do you expect anything kind of out of the federal level anytime soon? Because I feel like when I talk to other investors and some large-scale shippers, it's that intrastate regulation that they would like more clarity around. Yeah, good, good point. And we certainly want more clarity around that and many other things from our federal government. I think they're a little busy right now with or preoccupied with other things, but, um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't know what they're thinking and, and, um, certainly am not the expert on, on this in order to be able to truly comment on it. I appreciate that, Chris. With that, I really appreciate you coming on here to chat, uh, about, you know, electric and, and autonomy and, uh, look forward to having you on here soon as, uh, these trends continue to evolve. Cheers. Sounds great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.